Hello, I'm Brittany Campbell-Turner, and this is The Constructor Podcast, episode number 31. Hello, and welcome to or welcome back to The Constructor Podcast, the best way to build it. This podcast is dedicated to helping property owners have certainty in their decisions about their construction projects. We talk about fostering trusting relationships within your project teams, helping to understand how to lower risk, be under budget, and on schedule in your construction projects, and most importantly, exceed your end user's desires. This episode features David DeYarza, who is CEO of BuilderBox. If you don't recognize the name, this is a Where Are They Now episode. We've been catching up lately, and there have been a lot of changes since we spoke last in episode 10. We spoke with Vishal Parwal, his business partner, in episode 7 as well. You can learn more about the growth and the journey these two amazing guys have been through in those episodes. This episode, we not only talk about BuilderBox, but we discuss the mindset around not just giving bare minimum or the status quo, but we talk about how to deliver with conviction to do our best. I love his responses. So without further ado, here is my interview with David DeYarza. Hello, and welcome to the Constructor Podcast, David. How are you? I'm doing very well, Brittany. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Uh, If you guys who are listening don't remember, David has been on the podcast before. He's been on episode 10. And this is the Where Are They Now podcast. (laughs) Um, We're going to talk a little bit about what has transpired since we talked in episode nine? And, uh, well, my first question to you, David, is what's the deal? <laughs> uh, why BuilderBox instead of Game Plan? Last time we talked, talked with you, we talked about Game Plan. And the name has ultimately changed. You've rebranded. What's, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, no, certainly, uh, you know, inquiring minds certainly want to know about that. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Game Plan was a company that came out of uh, uh, an AEC hackathon. And, you know, it was just a, a couple of people getting together and doing a bunch of experimenting and, um, you know, doing some work at a hackathon. And then we continued it. And, uh, you know, it was... Uh, it was something that needed to evolve. We hadn't quite figured out what we wanted to do in terms of our offering of features and modules. And, you know, certainly we hadn't figured out what our pricing structure was going to be, what our licensing uh, type was going to be or subscription type was going to be. So, you know, at some point it made sense to sort of hit the reset button and say, okay, we've done all this development. We have learned all these lessons. Let's actually launch something that has a, a little bit of a different basis and its starting point, and uh, let's start anew. And uh, so from that sense, BuilderBox is not uh, a development product or a startup trying to you know, figure out what it is that we're doing, but rather a, you know, a product that is uh, quote-unquote shipping. Obviously, we're, you know, software as a service doesn't ship, but it's, it's out there, it's beyond 1.0, and it's uh, ready to go. There, you know, there was... Uh, uh, one of the lessons learned was uh, something just very simple, uh, you know, a name with the word game in the uh, in the domain uh, had a tendency of ending up in uh, spam filters, uh, some of our automated emails. Yeah. So that was that was certainly one of the lessons. 
No, yeah, that's that's great to know. I mean, and I think that we're going to get used to seeing Builderbox dot uh, dot io around, and uh, it's it definitely speaks to what you guys are providing. I think a little bit more closely has Builder in it, so that's that's great. awesome. We're going to get into the details of uh, the new structure, the new pricing structure, and licensing um, a little bit later. But I do also want to touch base with you about. Uh, your transition into the company. Last time we spoke with you, you were a collaborator slash star user uh, with Vishal, and now you're in the company. Um, Just want to talk about that transition, as both of you guys were working quite closely. Obviously, you guys met at AECA Hackathon, and we're developing that, you know, partnership in a way there, Um, but just want to get the history and background. Yeah, certainly. So, um, yeah, like I said, we we met at a hackathon, and I was uh, quite honestly, um, uh, my life changed on that hackathon, and I I sort of had the light bulb moment of, wait a minute, we do not have to wait for uh, big developers, big name software developers to decide that they want to prioritize the features that we're asking for and uh, include them in the software. This is something that we have technology now to accomplish ourselves. And um, that was really eye-opening. Uh, but I think that it, it really brings up a point that is one of um, the things that I consider to be part of the builder box DNA and, and part of our main selling point. Uh, and that is that we are not a group of software developers or serial entrepreneurs that decided that this market is ripe for Disruption, as everybody loves to say. I quite frankly don't like that word, but um, you know that seems to be what everybody else is doing. We were builders first, and we had a need for certain tools that, quite honestly, didn't exist in the market. And if they did, they were packaged in maybe the wrong way or the wrong uh, bundle. Uh, and when I say wrong, I just mean for my particular use case and my particular need, mm-hmm. I, I was not able to deploy those things for various reasons. So to to be able to create those um, for ourselves, for our work, is what we set out to do. And at some point, um, you know, we really realized that there was something there that would be uh, viable as a commercial project. Uh, I mean, I think that Vishal always had the eye on that particular ball. You know, I, mm-hmm. um, I was... Uh, looking at it as sort of the killer app that I could uh, create for myself and increase my productivity and increase um, the my quality of work. And uh, and at some point, it, it quickly became something that I knew somebody else was going to want. Now, I will honestly tell you that happened relatively quickly after the hackathon, and it's been uh, well over three years since we started that. And uh, uh, the tipping point um, for me really was that um, I had to do a great deal of homework and a lot of uh, proving the case uh, to convince my wife that it was a good idea oh. to leave a perfectly lucrative job at a well-established uh, mid-sized contractor and uh, and go uh, out on a limb and, and join the world of a startup. So, uh, you know, full disclosure, that is probably one of the biggest drivers of the the timing and the decision, but it's... It's something that pretty quickly I uh, I had resolved together with Vishal to to say at some point this is going to happen. Well, you know what? You had to sell it to your wife 
first. And so yeah. now that would just practice, right? You, you put together all the the uh, the copy and um, <laughs> you know got got her to understand the the value in it. And so I'm glad that she's given the the stamp of approval. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> Well, that's great. So I do want to talk with you a little bit more about the culture of what is now BuilderBox. Um, I do see you guys as you both, you and Vishal, and unfortunately he wasn't able to join us, as definitely having the constructor DNA as well, Um, which those who listen often know that the tagline is the best way to build it. And it's just not building construction it's not actually that act of building physical um, but it's building people building relationships building on collective innovation mm-hmm. and you guys are definitely aligned in that um, <clears throat> and I did want to talk to you about a couple of things that you guys talk about in your blog and de- definitely check out builderbox.io and check out the blog section guys for those of you who are listening, because um, they have some awesome stuff out there. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you talk about elevating the standard of care versus delivering the bare minimum. And sometimes in this industry, we settle with delivering the bare minimum. Can you talk about your convictions around that? Certainly. And that's, um, yeah, I think that you're spot on when you say, you know, we are really in line with some of the philosophies that you have been talking about at Constructor. And, and and it's not just building buildings, but it's building a better culture of building, if you will. And I think it's no um, no secret, the, the challenges that we face, the, you know, the inefficiencies that we have, that we have essentially decided that we're going to live with. And, you know, the people that pay our checks at the end of the day, I believe don't necessarily know uh, everything that uh, that goes into uh, building a project and all the inefficiencies and all the problems that um, our collective culture as builders really create. I think that in any other industry, um, if you were to say that you are going to uh, throw away 30 cents out of every dollar that is spent, I think they would look at you like you're absolutely insane and they would give the job to somebody else. Um, so, yeah, standard of care is is one of those things that I believe a lot of people in this industry are still hiding behind, and I I say that um, sort of under the framework of um, some of the industry events out there. If you take, for example, the AGC BIM Forum, you know, it happens twice a year, and it's been going on for a number of years, and I've, it's one of the events that I have attended uh, year after year with regularity, and. At the end of the conference, um, undoubtedly there's a Q&A session where somebody says, oh, this is all wonderful, this is all great, but uh, here are the reasons why I can't do it. And what I'm hearing year after year is this, uh, this hiding behind, well, the contract type doesn't let me do this, or are... You know, our insurance company has certain requirements, and if we do this, we're going against them, um, and I'm opening myself up to all this liability. There's still this, there's all this willingness to move forward and explore and use new technologies, but at the end of the day, we tend to revert into our safety zone, which is this quote-unquote standard of care, which essentially has been around 
um, you know, we haven't really changed much in the last hundred years as far as uh, uh, what we consider the standard of care. And everybody hides behind it and everybody silos. Uh, you know, the contract types are, uh, you know, by definition, we're going to war with one another, if you will. So yeah. the architect is, you know, siloing their information and making sure that their responsibility somebody else's. The consulting engineers do the same. The 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 contractors, uh, you know, build a framework around it so that they can then start to poke holes at the information and everything can become a change order. And and let's face it, there's, uh, I mean, I think that we have to be honest about this if we're going to move forward and nobody ever really wants to say it, which is there is a profit motive behind that inefficiency. If I sell you a product or I'm trying to sell you on a product where I tell you that my pricing structure means that I'm going to save your project engineer six hours a week, um, some people might think that that sounds great. But other people look at that and say, well, wait a minute, those six hours a week are hours that I am billing and I'm paying that project engineer a lot less. So you're taking money from my bottom line by being more efficient. So that's what I mean when I say the standard of care. Uh, We need to make the standard of care whatever it is that we want to make it. At the end of the day, it's whatever you want to do. So if if you're going to do BIM on a project, you're going to do VDC, well, then decide that you're going to do VDC on all your projects, and that is your standard of care. Don't hide behind, well, the customer didn't ask for it. Therefore, we ended up with all these problems that became change orders. Uh, no, do it because you believe in it. Do it because it benefits you in some way beyond just the bottom line. And I mean, I I believe because I have lived it and because I have seen it that when you when you make the decision that you're going to be efficient, when you make the decision that you're going to use technology and find the problems, um, at the end of the day, you end up with a product that uh, may be the same and may even cost the same amount of money to to arrive at, but people along the way have been a lot happier, and there's going to be a lot less conflict and a lot less putting out fires. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we have this tendency to prioritize what's urgent at the expense of what's important, and I think that that's a cultural mind shift that needs to happen in this industry before anybody really, uh, you know is able to disrupt. Again, there's that word again. Everybody wants to disrupt everything. What we really need to disrupt is the mindset and the the contracting nature of the work that we do in the industry. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Um, <laughs> that and that's something that's been a common theme. It's been a common topic that we discuss um, here on Constructor. It's how do we focus on developing the relationships differently? And a lot of times it is based upon what's written. It's based upon the contractual language. It's based upon the insurance requirements. It is based upon the legal, the legal setup, ultimately. And that's when you get around the focus on profit. (laughs) Not that profit isn't important, okay? But is it, is it now focus on improving process so everyone gets gets what they need at the right timing just in time as we talk about on lean right right and and uh but more so 
Are we, are we going backwards from what the client is truly asking for? Um, is it really client focused? Is it, it, are we delivering for their ultimate enjoyment for them to ultimately have the best possible quality for the price? So that's again, raising that standard of care, you know, it, and it's not just quality as far as like high level finishes. I mean, quality of customer service. Um, and then that's when it comes down to saving your six hours, like you mentioned. Um, when you can just do something more efficiently, because guess what? We can. <laughs> yeah, and at the at the end of the day, it's really, you know, those six hours that you save because you deployed some kind of technology that gave you those six hours back, Those that doesn't mean that you spend six hours less working on the project, but now you have an extra six hours to focus on what's important and maybe be proactive about the next task exactly. or you know anticipate something else so i mean a lot of technologies you know we saw this with bim when when bim and vdc were really starting to first appear in the construction industry and and you know be part of the everyday vocabulary you know every company um very quickly tried to prove an roi uh to bim and it proved to be a very difficult thing to do. And it's it's really not uh, it's really not at the end of the day about how many pennies you save, but it's about the, the confidence that you have in the product that you're putting out there, the risk that you are reducing, um, and you know, being able to again be proactive and and really focus on the things that you need to do. I mean our projects are complex enough as it is. Um, you know, so that's why we end up you know, managing projects essentially from crisis to crisis. And that's, you know, what our customers are really desperate for and really uh, pleading for is tools that allow them to uh, to spend their time better and to focus on things uh, better and to not have to constantly be reacting to that email or that phone call that just came in with, the you know, some other problem that now we have to fix. We want to be able to anticipate. And all these technologies, I think, you know, from BIM on down, they've kind of started to go in that direction. But, you know, you, you know very well, and I think that the work that you're doing at Constructor is very uh, important because you're focusing on owners. And at the end of the day, you said it. I mean, it, it's going to come down to the owner and what the owner requires and what the owner puts down on paper as their spec for how they want people to behave um, you know, we see that with IPD, uh, you know, we see that with design build and with some other, you know, more collaborative contracting methods. And, you know, the owners that get it and that are knowledgeable, they're getting very creative and they're they're putting really good frameworks in place for uh, good work. And like you said, there's nothing wrong with making profit. And in fact, I think that you should let that be the filter that you make decisions with, but you have to take a long view. You know, it's is the profit you make in a change order worth not getting that client to work with again? Right, right. <laughs> Very good points all around. Um, yeah, I I appreciate your response. I appreciate uh, your perspective. Um, though I I do want to move into the utilization of of uh, contractual methods and relationships and talk a little bit more about how that elevates the stand of care. How do you guys see that come up even on the software side of things? 
Well, I part of our philosophy at at Builderbox is, you know, that the sheets of drawings don't build buildings; people do. So, you know, part of our secret sauce, if you will, or or, or the the thing that really makes us different than than some others is we we've added we've not only digitized a status quo process we have you know we're taking best practices and lessons learned from things like lean and NIPD and enabling workflows to to follow naturally those paths and 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 for documents for example to work the way that you would want them to in a lean environment and we've created some tools that enable that right but in addition to that, we've created what I call a social layer on top of it. And what that aims to do is to capture the context to every decision. So if there's a decision on a submittal, if there's a decision on a change order or on an RFI, I want to have a way of capturing everything that led to that decision being made that way, which typically now gets lost in emails and nobody ever finds them again. So we've got a social interaction layer to the entire system. And um, where we have found really great success is where, uh, whether it be the owner or whether it be the project manager, somebody in a leadership position in the project has decided that, you know what, this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk to one another and we're going to capture it here. If you send me an email, I will delete it. So if you want to weigh in on this conversation, have it on this platform. Um, and that's when we've been uh, very successful. If, on the other hand, we've had a, a leadership team that's wishy-washy about it and doesn't really care, and, oh, yeah, sure, no, you can email, or you can do this, or, oh, you guys are going on Slack, and these guys are doing that over there, uh, wonderful. Everybody do whatever you want. Um, our product, quite honestly, has not been that successful at those implementations because we just end up being another silo of data, another you know another login for somebody to remember, and that's not what we want to do and where we want to be. So, it really is driven. You know, ultimately, I think that the owner is in the best position to do that and you know create a contract type that allows people to talk to one another. Uh, but uh, you know, even if it's just the general contractor, you know, the project manager or project executive on that job that decides this is the way we're going to do it, we can still have a great impact, even if there needs to be a chain of command that's very clearly delineated and with a lot of steps to it, because nobody can talk to anybody except for who they've been told they can talk to. Um, well, at that point, we can use the technology to automate and to really mine that information, push it through to the next level with the least amount of loss or with the least amount of inefficiency. But, it, you know, the natural sweet spot for for the platform, the way that you get to use it with the least amount of setup is if you say, hey, you know, uh, this subcontractor over here should be able to ask the consultant engineer a question. And, you know, we have a method for capturing it. And so, you know, it's not just some email that gets lost and nobody knows about it. It's in the system so you can track it and you can create notifications that are rules-based so that the right people know the conversations that are going on. But if you enable people to simply talk to one another and take ownership in what they're doing in their work and not feel completely constrained, just I think you get a much better result. I... I really appreciate the response, um, and I'm curious about your familiarity with PAS 1192, the UK standard for BIM. 
Uh, superficially, I, I, I wouldn't. I mean, like the rest of us, I think that I have been following it and reading about it, but I, I, I wouldn't claim to to be an expert at it or be that uh, that that familiar with exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and I and I think that I have some similar familiarity. I mean, I haven't implemented it in any of my projects either, but I do find that um, the utilization of of a of a platform like yours, like BuilderBox, um, it could really allow for that level of communication to take place with the amount of customiz- customization that's allowable here, especially since you have pretty much uh, the most collaborative, um, you know, like the social media platform way of communication mm-hmm. um, integrated already. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I think it's very effective. And I, um, it, again, it was one of those light bulb moments where, you know, I've not historically been a huge fan of social media or, or, a, or a big user of, uh, of, of things, that, you know, like Facebook, I'm, I'm on Facebook, but I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not glued to it all day long. But the fact that you can share information in a way where you're posting it out for, you know, the group that you have defined, as you know the the people that you want to see something and they can consume it they they get notified however they choose to be notified about things they consume the information whichever way they want to consume it and they're most efficient consuming it that really was a model for this social interaction layer that that we put on top of the system and again like the same way that you know my move to builder box was really uh, you know, predicated on me convincing my wife that it was a good idea to do so. This goes back to a family interaction too. I, I realized that since I've been on Facebook, I have not emailed a picture of my family to uh, my parents, for instance. So email got completely eliminated out of that workflow. And, you know, I wanted to do something very similar, but with, you know, work information. Of course, that means that you have to define certain workflows you have to define security criteria so that uh, people have access to the right information uh, but that's relatively easy to do yeah yeah and i'm sure you have to answer to your parents now if they're not on facebook as well <laughs> <laughs> um no but it's 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 still it's understanding that workflow and 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 falling into it for the the right type of communication that is predicated based upon the agreement right Right, right. Okay. okay. Oh, awesome. I, I think we're getting into a little bit more about, you know, understanding BuilderBox um, and kind of revisiting some of the the features here. I don't know if you want to just do a high level, I don't know if you want to call it spiel again about what, what BuilderBox has for us. Um, and then let's talk about uh, some of the things that have changed from when we spoke last. Sure, sure. So, uh, I mean, it's a little bit difficult for the, you know, the listening audience without getting the the visual of it to really uh, uh, get a sense. But um, you know, I'll try to do my best. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a web app platform like uh, like any other. You know, you access through through a browser, and based on your login, it knows who you are, and you've got certain permission credentials which grant you access to whatever the administrator has decided you should have access to and you've been invited to. So, um, you know, you can uh, manage or participate in, in any number of projects. And 
the thing is we have a really modular platform so we do a bunch of different workflows and I won't try to get through them all uh, I'll just hit on a couple of highlights but our pricing structure and our modular nature means that you know we don't really expect a whole lot of people out there to use a hundred percent of what the system can offer uh, we've got clients for example who came to us and and said um, you know we're a small contractor um, just hired a few people and I want to make sure that I know where the money's going. That's the only thing that matters to me. So we've got a way to do real-time uh, budget forecast on your project and to manage pay apps and draw requests and um, you know integrate into an accounting system so that you can, uh, with a click of a mouse, take a look at your uh, at the financial health of your project and see where money's going. So that's one case. Um, and in a lot of other cases, what we get is people that tell us our accounting is completely separate. Uh, we don't want to touch it. We don't want to integrate it because we want that uh, a hard stop, if you will, to the data so that we have a quality control checkpoint. Um, and we're just interested in submittals and RFIs. So great. Let's focus your training and your onboarding on that. But um, th our system, our platform is able to relate anything to anything else. So for example, you can have a task uh, that is upcoming, and this is part of our lean production uh, production management uh, system. Um, we've got something we call the readiness index, which essentially allows you to uh, relate any document in the system to that particular task. So if you have, say, a foundation pour coming up, you can very quickly see uh, it, 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 it works like a, like a traffic light. You get a green, an amber, or a red. And if it's a red, it means you probably shouldn't go pour those footings. Um, and you can start to drill down. And, and the particular example that, that, uh, with these footings, it could very well be that um, there was an inconsistency. The, the architectural drawings called the foundation depths to be one thing. The structural drawings called the foundation depths to be another. And the footing schedule uh, didn't match either one. Now, how often does that happen? <laughs> pretty much every project right so and again the, these are things that I'm not a software engineer I'm not uh, an entrepreneur thinking that this is a problem I have lived this I have uh, I have made that phone call to say guys you probably shouldn't pour that because we just found an inconsistency only to get a, a text back with a photo of the poured footing and a caption oops we just did it exactly yeah. so this stuff really does happen and this th this is kind of a low uh, you know, level example of, of something very, very concrete here. Excuse the pun, they're concrete. But um, so you simply, you know, pull up the, the system, pull up the platform, log in, go look at your schedule, see your three-week look ahead, and one of the tasks is poor footings. Well, it's red. Why is it red? You can see that there's a list of anything. Uh, it could be, well, we do not have the concrete mix uh, available to the crew is not... Uh, available for that workspace or to there's an RFI that hasn't been answered. There's a pending RFI on this issue. That's a, a really clear example of how you can utilize the task function function. And I really do like the, the stoplight idea. Um, that's, it really implements the utilization of, of lean, um, yeah, yeah. Giving everyone, giving one, everyone that voice to say, you know, you're on, you're on the right path. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that, I mean that's just one example, but I think that derailed me a little bit from, um, 
you know, maybe just at a high level, I could, uh, uh, you know, most people that know about construction management or these things are all familiar, right? But yes, we you know, submittals, RFIs, uh, task management, uh, you know, site photos, plan room. Uh, although I will say about the plan room, we we kind of take the the approach that we shouldn't try to reinvent the wheel and create something that somebody else has already done really really well. So, in the case of our file cloud and plan room, you know we integrate with things like Google Drive and Box, Dropbox, all of those, and we're actively working on a on a uh, integration with uh, Bluebeam Studio just because I I particularly like Bluebeam. Yep. I believe that it's a great product. They philosophically fall in line as far as the licensing uh you know that they do so for us it's very natural to say well we're not going to create a plan room because we're going to use studio and we're just going to make the two talks if you go into if you go into uh, uh builder box and you pull up your plans they're actually going to be whatever it's in studio and anybody doing anything in studio is going to still get captured but if you need to you know initiate a quality control punch list item uh, from a drawing in Bluebeam, it'll be a punch list item in BuilderBox that'll have all the accountability and all the, you know, the social media layer. Uh, same thing with, uh, you know, same thing with an, an RFI. You could, uh, you know, cloud your drawings and call out an RFI. Uh, but instead of calling a hyperlink to another PDF that happens to be an RFI, you're calling it to our database where there's an RFI and you can in real time see what the status of that is. So, you know, that that's kind of part of our DNA too, to be, uh, to integrate and our technology backend really allows for very easy integration uh, with just about anything that will let us integrate into it. Um, and that's definitely something that we're doing a lot of. Uh, but then, you know, like every day, things such as you know like meeting minutes are hugely underutilized meeting minutes is something that typically a you know project engineer sits in a in an office and jots down some things or maybe is using excel and um, you know maybe that excel file gets emailed around but nobody ever really looks at it but uh, our meeting minutes are very easy to set up and any action item or agenda item that you have, you can instantly promote to a task, which you can now assign to a person. You can assign a due date. You can create followers for that. You can create a, 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 a notification or a reminder date other than the due date. You can, um, And then you can use that task to assign to a schedule item so that it can you know, make its red light red if that person has not accomplished that task. So again, in the sort of the, the spirit of relating everything to everything, um, you really have a lot of power if you start to use more of the modules of the system. Oh, that's excellent. Um, I do like the idea of relating everything to everything. <laughs> it, um, that's, what, that's what we have to use at this point. I mean, it's not like we're not attempting to do that in projects already, but things get missed because that linkage itself is not there um, well it's, it's typically a manual linkage and yeah. you know what we've done is we've created a, a a digital link that on top of it you know you can report on and you can you know dashboard its metrics and you can assign it to somebody or a group of people and um, yeah it's uh, I think that's really the game changer is that you know I, I always say computers the only thing computers do that you and I uh, can't is they they count a lot faster so mm -hmm. you know Process automation is a very simple thing to do from a technology standpoint. So that's um, it's it's kind of 
it's a little bit sad that it's 2017 and we're talking about this, but you know, that's, that's where we are. But I think in that sense, we've done a really good job of, of uh, uh, creating an automation system that's very flexible. In fact, you, uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about some of the differences between BuilderBox and, you know, when, when we were developing it uh, as game plan. Um, I would say that, you know, uh, other than uh, being extremely more robust um, and because we've, gone through a great deal of testing. Um, one of the things that's m probably the, the biggest difference is the amount of flexibility and customization. Um, because, you know, Vishal and I went back and forth a lot. Every time that I uh, put the system on another pilot project with a different group of project managers and engineers and, um, and uh, architects, um, somebody wanted to do something slightly different. So that, that process automation of, for example, a, a document approval workflow uh, which again is relatively simple to do, but uh, you have to make it flexible enough so that you can accommodate the particular scenario and no two teams ever want to do something the same way. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of, you know, a software developer dictating how something should work just because they think that that's the best way to do it. I think that you need to have the flexibility to let project teams really make those decisions. There's nothing wrong with having some out-of-the-box guidelines that, hey, these are probably going to cover most cases. And, you know, but I would rather save that for a blog post than for a software setting. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was interesting. I, one thing that sticks out really clearly from my first discussion with Vishal is he said that the system is built in a way for people to work the way they work and documentation is a byproduct. Right. And and I think that you guys have gotten to a place with the ability to integrate with different team styles um, as well as um, different software integrations in order to really allow for that um, through BuilderBox. So I think that I think that you probably have more of an evolution even from here, um, but you've definitely gotten to a, a really good place. Um, so that's that's great to hear. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, in fact, I, um, I some of the conversations that we have with, with clients really hinge around uh, not so much our software and what it will do, but uh, how they work. What are their systems now? What do they find success in? And, uh, we don't want to come in and, and say, we've got this great new tool, you need to work this way now in order to use it. No, it's let us understand how you work, and we can tell you if we can help you or not. So there, there are going to be some cases where, you know, we might not be the best fit. But, you know, nine times out of ten, we're going to be able to, you know, create the system to work in the way that you work and add that layer of automation, add the layer of the social interaction, uh, capturing all the... All the uh, all the documentation. I mean, our our, our tagline really is, you know, uh, uh, communicate effectively, document everything, and make data-driven decisions. And that's that's really out of you know we've got a system that will allow you to uh, get away from email, you know, get uh, uh, issue-specific conversations, stay with the issue. That's that's something where you communicate effectively. 
we can document everything that happens. You know, every time that somebody looks at something, every time that somebody updates a file, every time that somebody responds to something, there's there's a log. Again, you're you're talking about a web app where you log in, so the the server knows exactly what time and date uh, you did something to a particular you know, submittal, for example, mm -hmm. um, and that becomes really powerful later at uh, at closeout and if you ever have to go back and, and figure out who did what when which again i've been on the uh, receiving end of that order of you know david go find that uh, that rfi response because we have a uh, warranty issue okay well i'll see you in a couple of weeks let me right. <laughs> go you know rifle through all those uh, uh email backups um, and even then, you don't have a, a guarantee that you're going to find it, even if you're really good about saving emails, which uh, I consider myself to be. But it's, you know, Outlook or any other email client does not prevent you from putting something in the wrong folder. If you if you answer an RFI in a database, it's pretty difficult for you to answer the wrong question in the wrong document. I suppose you could do it, but you would really have to be going out of your way. But uh, you know, once you have all that documentation, you can really start to mine the data. And uh, that's what I, I wish that Vishal was here because he explains this a lot better than me because, frankly, he's the brains behind the operation and this goes over my head pretty quickly. But, um, you know, some of the algorithms that we have working behind the scenes that are uh, the same system that's making a decision of whether, you know, the light is red, amber, or green for your tasks are, are, are able to start predicting and able to start mining the data across your entire project portfolio and eventually across our entire user base. And we're, we've got the system looking for patterns and looking for things, you know, like that, uh, going back to the example of the foundation pour, uh, well, what if we have a piece of software now that can tell us these conditions that you are starting to meet are the things that usually lead to this task being delayed? You know, then we can start to uh, to throw up uh, red flags and say, "Hey, you should probably be paying attention to this kind of thing." Um, that also a little bit more of a at a day-to-day -day level and already in the software. I mean, that's that's obviously a little bit uh, further up. Uh, you know, as far as the the timeline of of when that data will become uh, useful. You know, we're going to need a lot of data in the system for that to really become smarter. But we already have a uh, a system that does a, a, a really good job of prioritizing uh, things that, again, are important, not necessarily just urgent. So we've got a virtual assistant, which is the first thing that you get greeted by um, when you uh, uh, when you uh, log into the system. In fact, one of my favorite stories about a product demo is I had I had created a project for our our home, and I was showing uh, Blair, my wife, how to use the system. And I, I showed up at a product demo and there were about seven or eight items on my honey-do list that showed up on my virtual assistant. And the last one for the following day was to show her how to assign a date because everything had that same date and it was today. So <laughs> I, I, had, I was already behind. Um, yeah, so it, it does a really nice job of, of saying, look, these are the things that are most critical. And it's not really just looking at your schedule, it's looking at the project holistically and understands what other items and what other tasks and levels of responsibility for other people are going on that affect those tasks. And it, um, it basically presents it to you in a way that you can filter through it a lot quicker. That's awesome. So I, I do wanna be cognizant about time. I do wanna hear a little yeah. bit about the, um, the pricing model that You've changed too. 
So tell us yeah, a little bit yeah. about that. Um, well, I, I think that we this is one of the struggles that we had to really figure out uh, what the pricing model was going to be. And in this industry, everybody seemed to be going towards a, well, let's, let's figure out how big your project is. And based on that, we'll do some back-of-the-napkin math that uh, will let us estimate how many people, more or less, you're going to have, how many users, and uh, how many drawings, and how many attachments, and what kind of uh, storage are we talking about. And that that is a pretty big task in and of itself from a pricing standpoint. And the result of that is that as an end user, anytime that I ask for a proposal from any other software, uh, software vendors, um, I could never get a quick answer. And that really meant that I could not deploy something on a project. I mean, typically by the time that I can answer the question, well, how many people are on your project and how many millions of dollars that project is, it's too late for me to get a number because the budget is set and I can't all of a sudden add another $30,000 light item. You know, even if it's something that's going to save us a ton of time, well, it's, it's very difficult to make that case when you've got a budget already set. Um, likewise, I was always uh, left with a very um, uh, icky, maybe for, you know, that, yeah, that's the right word, icky feeling. Anytime that a, that a software salesperson would uh, answer, well, how much is this going to cost me? By asking, well, what's your annual revenue? You know, that, that's, that doesn't sit well with me. And I know so many people um, that, uh, that are in the exact same boat. Uh, I mean, one of the sort of on the side, one of the things that I do, I, I, I'm the current president of the board of the Seattle Revit user group, and we just went over a 1,000 members. We're up to 1,003 as of today. And, oh, thank you. But um, that really translates into having the ear of a lot of people, having conversations with a lot of people. And this was something that everybody seemed to be unanimous on. It's like, that feels wrong. Uh, software should cost whatever it costs. And, you know, how well my company's doing should not uh, have any bearing on that. Now, of course, I, I understand that the reality is that, that they're going for some kind of volume there. But um, in the spirit of creating a business model that did away with the roadblocks that I as an end user encountered, mm -hmm. that being one of them, uh, we decided on a very simple subscription model, which actually is what all, you know, most other software as a service out there is, is based on. So we've got, first of all, a free tier. Um, that was another one. It was always very difficult to uh, to do a pilot project or to even get in the interface and push the buttons. I mean, I'm I'm a visual learner. I like to look at screenshots. I like to actually poke around and break things uh, in order to learn them. And I I couldn't get access to some of uh, these systems out there until we bought them. So we've created a, a way that you can go onto the site, you can start today, you can create a free account and that'll give you unlimited time. You can keep it forever. Um, and it, it limits you in the number of people you can invite and it's only for one project. You're also going to hit some limitations on, on the features that are available and on the modules that are available, but it does about maybe 75, 80% of what the platform does. Um, with a little bit less option to customize, but you can check it out. You can actually try it and see if this is going to be for you or not. Um, then we have a small business uh, plan, which is uh, uh, $19. Um, and I, I better make sure that I'm giving you the right numbers. I'm fairly confident that I am, but um, I will pull up our pricing sheet just to make sure. And by the way, this is all on the website, builderbox.io. Yeah. That's, that's the other differentiator. Most other 
software, you, you actually will not know. You have to interact with a salesperson, but we actually have a pricing page. So our small business uh, plan is $19 per user per month. Um, you know, again, some limitations on what you can do with that, but by and large, you can get a lot of value out of, you know, just under $20 a buck per, uh, per user per month. That's pretty good. Um, advanced business, which is probably where most people are going to fall in. Um, it's at $49 per user per month. And our enterprise, which adds our production planning and uh, you know some of the more advanced features, and it gives you unlimited number of projects, unlimited file storage, et cetera, et cetera. That's $99 per user per month. Now, one thing that's really important to note when we're talking about users and fees per user per month is just about everybody else out there is going to ask you to maintain a license for your collaborators, your external users. So if you're a general contractor, that's your, your subcontractors, your architect, consulting engineers, the client. If you want them to play in the same sandbox and participate, uh, you're going to have to buy them a license. And that's uh, maybe from a financial standpoint, not, uh, not really that big of a problem. If you know that that's the case, you can build it into a subcontract, for example, or um, you know, if, if, if you can forecast it, you can deal with that. But what that does is it puts you in the business of managing other people's email addresses. So if you have, uh, let's say that you've got a company-wide account and you've got a certain number of licenses, now you have to worry about, well, this project, we have these subcontractors and, oh, are we, are they working on the next project? This one's being closed out. Do we have to go cancel those? So it gets complicated very quickly. And, you know, my, the IT director at the, at the company that I left before, Builderbox, was, uh, always very adamant. He doesn't want to be in the business of managing other people's emails, and he's absolutely right. So, in the case of Builderbox, anybody that's not on your domain is unlimited and it's free. So you do not have to pay for the owner, the architect, the subcontractors. Um, now that makes it so that you can run a project with a, uh, a relatively minimal investment, and I think that that's perfectly adequate and perfectly fair uh, to do. Um, I don't feel like we're losing out on, on opportunities to charge people just because, you know, they have 30 people. If maybe there are just three people that are managing the project and they're part of the general contractor, well, they can just get three licenses and have all those other people participate. Um, of course, all the users, you can, you know, the, the level of control over what people can do and see and get access to, it's, um, it's is so flexible, in fact, that it's... Uh, you know, anything with a lot of power also brings in a bit of complexity. Mm -hmm. So setup is pretty important. Um, but um, yeah, so that's that's the pricing structure. I mean, I uh, I will say like with any other, you know, software as a service and a lot of the companies out there, we really like enterprise deals. We really like people that sign up for 12 months and we can give a pretty aggressive discount on that. But you don't have to call us to find out what that's going to be. You can go on the website, know how many users you have, extrapolate that 12 months out, and you know that's our starting point. Now, our enterprise deal is going to be below that. We're always going to be below the retail published price. And I think that that, you know, that gives you a safety margin. And if you're looking for a solution and you need to plug something into a budget, you can look at our numbers on the website and know that it's not going to go above that. So I, I think that that's a pretty important point. Yeah, I think that gives a, a clear understanding of what people will get um, when they test out BuilderBox. I mean, to be honest, with the free version, it makes a whole lot of sense to 
create your own demo, if you will, and, mm -hmm. and see if it works. Um, I'm the type of person that likes to kind of poke around things and see if it works for me, like with any other software as a service, like you mentioned. Um, and there's some that I have chosen not to use because it's not working as I would yeah. have hoped. Or maybe, you know, maybe that's the next tier up that will allow, you know, those whatever features yeah. that I'm looking for. So at least it gives you a sense of the user interface and things like that. So that's great. Yeah. I mean, I will admit it's a double-edged sword, right? I mean, anything, um, we're not trying to do something simple here. Building a, a building is not a simple uh, endeavor. So, you know, neither are the tools to do it. And I, you know, I want to stay away from claiming that it's particularly complex, but it's it it's a powerful system that can do a great deal. So, you know, setup, onboarding, those things matter. And I think that, you know, we've got a pretty good user base uh, or help base um, on the on the site. People that know how to do this will probably, you know, people know how to manage projects can figure their way around. But, um, you know, it's on the upper levels where you get some of the onboarding set up and uh, help with, uh, you know, uh, training and things like that. And uh, so sometimes the free version, <coughs> excuse me, sometimes the free version, it's... Uh, you know, somebody will log into it and some people will walk away from it because it doesn't look like much when there's no data in the system. So uh, definitely walking people through it is our preferred way to do it. But uh, if somebody wants to poke around, they certainly can do it. Okay, great. Good, good, good. Um, well, I do want to ask you a couple of conclusive questions for this interview here um, and and we know that we can obviously join um, the free version or, or test out Builderbox and obviously getting a getting some support and getting a real project in there to see how, how it's working um, is the best way to do it but um, with Builderbox or outside of Builderbox I do want to find out some steps that you may recommend for organizations who are looking to implement a better standard of care. Just kind of pointing back to our earlier discussion. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, um, that's a good question. And I think that you, you have to first make a decision that that's what you want to do. And it's like with anything else, right? It, it really has to come from the top. If, if you don't have a culture that values, you know, a, a higher standard of care, it's like saying that you don't have a culture that values innovation or a culture that doesn't value safety. You're not going to put an emphasis on those things. You're not going to empower your people to, uh, to do that. So if you do, you, you have to make it very clear that you do um, and really empower your people to do the right thing for their clients. And, in fact, I, I think, you know, some of the resources out there, like like you were talking about, you know, we talked about the blog earlier. Well, it's uh, because I'm not uh, historically a software developer or, you know, I've not been a CEO of a software company uh, before this. You know, my most of my focus on our blog has been around this topic. And so if you go to um, uh, our, uh, our, our blog page, again, it's uh, builderbox.io. Uh, but you can go directly to it with blog.builderbox.io. I think you'll 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 notice that Vishal and I have been 
contributing content here that is really around um, that topic. So, uh, for example, I, I, I published a, a blog a few days ago or a couple of weeks ago on using the safety culture as maybe a model for innovation and standard of care. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really not that long ago that we were really arguing about having to wear hard hats on our sites. And, you know, people were against it. It, it was something that, oh, it gets in my way. Or having to spend an hour doing a safety orientation at the beginning of the job. I mean, that, that seems uh, very wasteful. There's a lot of money spent on that. But there's a mandate for that. You've got, you know, first of all, you've got OSHA and, and, and rules like that. And um, you've got, you know, your insurance company saying that you're going to have higher premiums if you have a certain, you know, a, a certain uh, recordable rate or, um, you know, those are all things, uh, you know, if if you, I've been on a lot of project pursuits, you know, trying to uh, sell a client on, you know, hiring us to build your project. And we had a pretty big slide with our EMR, uh, you know, directly up on the on the slide and the lower the better. And we would tout, you know, all the safety awards that we've gotten. Well, you know, maybe we should get a slide in there that shows all the VDC awards we've gotten and all the you know all the, what our standard of care is to our to our customers. I think that it's a very similar thing. You've got um, you've got something that was not necessarily uh, well received. It seemed uh, like it would go against your bottom line, but it's done by a group of specialists at your at your company. And now you do every job, uh, and you start with a safety briefing. You know. So why are we still having a conversation about whether we're going to use VDC on a project or not? Why isn't it the same exact model? So if you've got a successful safety culture, take a look at that safety culture. Look at what your safety department looks like. Look at who's in leadership there and what it took for you to uh, really create that safety culture. And that's probably a pretty good blueprint for uh, bringing in innovation into your projects and technology adoption and really start to push up the uh, what you call your standard of care towards your customers. Excellent. I think that answer is fantastic. And and to be honest, if you're if you're not a construction based company, maybe you're an architecture firm um, or maybe you're an owner, anything that you guys have put a true um, standard in place to make sure that you're implementing something very seriously and efficiently i think that any sort of set standard of that nature is something that can be modeled so great great answer i i really like that um well last question for you how can someone contact you if they want to reach out to you or learn more about builderbox yeah, absolutely. Well, the the easy answer is the Builderbox uh, uh, website, and that's Builderbox.io. Uh, that's I, we, we've been putting the IO on everything, just so that people don't assume it's a .com. But uh, Builderbox.io has links to to everything. There's a way to get a hold of us on the um, um, on the uh, on the website directly. There's a form. Some of our contact information is uh, is actually on there. Uh, like I said, you can see the blog. Let's see what else. Um, uh, my email is really easy. It's just david at builderbox.io, and I'm happy to uh, uh, to interact with any uh, anybody that uh, that wants to. 
And, uh, you know, we can put, uh, I'm sure that we can get links to Twitter and LinkedIn and all those things if we, if we need to, but I'm not a huge, you know, uh, I'm not hugely active on Twitter. So, I mean, if people want to uh, follow me, that's great. But, uh, um, other, other than the, uh, Hey, I've just posted a blog post here. Come go to this link to go see it. I do little on there, but yeah, no worries. We'll, we'll put all your information in the show notes so that people have access to it and, um, well, I just want to thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Constructor Podcast again. And this has been a really enjoyable time catching up with you and learning more about BuilderBox. Oh, thank you. It's, it's uh, nice of you to have us back. And uh, we're delighted to, uh, to speak with you. And we really like what you're doing and the emphasis on owners that you're uh, that, that you have so uh, I think there's you know it's a very natural fit so uh, thank you for having us awesome thanks David if you liked this podcast don't forget to subscribe at constructor.com to get email updates from me about upcoming podcasts and other nuggets that I'm planning on sharing with you if you haven't already subscribe to the podcast you can do so at iTunes and Stitcher please leave a review to show your support and let me know that you were enjoying the podcast I look forward to talking with you guys next week.